Hello and welcome to the latest edition of How Might We. Today, my guest is Jamie McCanch, and he wants to talk about how might we shape our future. So, Jamie, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, please? Yeah. Hi, mate. Thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, it's great to be here, Scott. But yeah, so my name's Jamie McCanch. I run a company called Sino Bounds, but I've got a, a six-year-old journey, I guess, if you like, about how one day I woke up, my life had changed completely, and I had no other choice but to figure out how I was going to shape my future. So I thought I'd share a little bit of that with you today, and hopefully the listeners will be able to kind of get inspired or or even be able to think out there outside of their own box. Okay, that sounds interesting. So there's a, it's a story edition of How Might We this week then? Yeah, yes. yes. I've, I've always been quite active, right? So I'm quite an active individual. I run my own business. I'm a, I'm a published poet. I, I work with young entrepreneurs as part of the Young Entrepreneur Programme where I teach young people how to set up their own business. And, and basically my life is all around business. But it wasn't always. I was, you know, I had, I had a great life beforehand. I was living the dream. I was on 45 grand a year. I was a salesman for Honda. I was, you know, doing everything that I wanted to do. I had a nice house, I had cars and, you know, two cars on the drive and four motorbikes in the garage. And then one day I had shingles. And if ever you've ever had shingles, it's a little bit like being electrocuted because mm. it's a, like, it's a neurological condition that attacks a nervous stream of the body and mine attacked my spinal column so i was left with basically 50 percent of my body covered in this shingle rash and then i had tonsillitis at the same time so my immune system was was absolutely trashed and even though i got over that that was in the november 2013 i got over that and then in and or at least i thought it was and then in january the 6th 2014 i went to bed everything was fine and when I woke up on the 7th, I was paralyzed from the waist down. During my sleep, the shingles had retracted back to my L2. And during my sleep, I'd ruptured my spine, woke up paralyzed. Uh, and I had two choices. And the two choices at the time was figure out, obviously, what was going on and move on or let it beat me. And at first, I let it beat me. And, and this, is, this is the massive message about how I let something shape or potentially shape my future was it, I got, it, it got me down. I suffered with depression. I suffered with anxiety. You know, I became a prisoner in my own body, a prisoner in my own home. I felt a burden on my friends. I felt a burden on my family. I felt a burden on society in general. And for those of you who don't know what that muscle group or, or what those nerves control, the ones that sit within your L, between your L1 and L2, for a bloke, they, they serve three main purposes. The control of your bladder, the control of your blood, your bowels, and the control of ejaculation. Overnight, I lost control of all three of those elements, and which can have a massive effect on your mental health. Not even including the fact that I can't even walk. And one day, I was got me and my ex-wife. We were on our way out to a wedding, so I was all dressed up in my best clobber. And when I looked down, I wet myself. And I hadn't realized because I had no feeling and it kind of ruined the day for me. You know, I had to go and get changed. I mean, not, I don't, I didn't have a wardrobe full of suits. You know, you, you get the picture, right? So I had to like, go and get changed. I didn't want to go, blah, blah. We ended up turning up late. It was a bit of a nightmare. And, and I just felt it was all my doing. And yeah, that, that day I, after the, after the wedding, two days later, I took off and on my own and, and, and made an attempt on my life. So yeah, that, shaped my future i made a a distinctive decision that day and unfortunately i wasn't successful so i'm still here to tell the tale but i am i am a survivor of, of my own mental health if you like for the choice of a better word but uh, yeah i was very lucky at the time as well and that actual decision is what shaped my future to where i am today because the one thing i learned back then was actually giving up is a lot harder than it sounds Giving up is actually one of the hardest things you'll do. And I remember lying in the hospital after the overdose and thinking about how guilty I felt. I was angry at myself for allowing myself to, to, to you know, fall into that black hole. And yeah, a friend of mine came in and, and he'd done something that not many people do is he came along and he said, simple words, he said, all right, but what have been up to? And, and I'd done something that I hadn't done before. I talked. So he sat there and listened and I sat there and talked, which is quite interesting about what we were speaking about earlier on 
Scott, where people have lost the ability to listen. And by listening, what you can actually do is not necessarily shape your future, but shape the future of someone else. And my friend at the time, he didn't try to cure me. He didn't try to fix me. He didn't try to give me the answers. He just listened. And from that, I let out all my frustrations. I let out all my anger. I let out all my fears. I let out all my anxieties. And I just let it all out onto the table. And in the end, he said to me, um, he said, why don't you come and play basketball? He said, that'll be good for you. And I said, mate, what's basketball going to do for me? He said, probably nothing, but what have you got to lose? And changed my life. I then discovered wheelchair basketball. And now, you know, it's five years, six years down the line. I'm proud to say that I played basketball for Cardiff. I've played rugby for Wales. I've hand cycled for Wales. I've climbed a mountain on my bare hands. I climbed mountains in my wheelchair. I've won multiple awards. I've achieved a lot of things all by one person saying, why don't you do this? And what I discovered when I started playing basketball was actually I wasn't the elephant in the room anymore. I wasn't the only disabled person. I was in a, minor, in a majority of people. And then I learned about all the things that I could do, not about all the things that I couldn't. And I'd let so many people shape my decisions in life by telling me what I couldn't do. Can't do this anymore. You can't do that anymore. You won't be able to do this. You won't be able to do that. And now all of a sudden I'm hearing about all the things that I can do. And that is what changed my future. Long short answer that one, mate. That was a very long <laughs> short answer. I think massively sort of, I don't know the words to say for it really. It's, it's, it's heartening to hear the, the journey you went through and sort of how it came out and some of the things that are important within that. And thank you very much for sharing. And one thing I just want to pick up on, one is, yes, listening is not about trying to fix something, is it? It's just, it's just being patient and being curious about somebody and just saying, I'm not going to interrupt you. You just tell me what you want to tell me. Yeah, and it, it's incredible, the power of that. But I do a lot of like motivational talks, even though I run my own business. I'm also a motivational speaker, which I, I do a lot of that for free for people for schools especially because it's a way of giving back and you know that whole cliche oh, it's a way of giving back but for me it's not it's more than that it, it's a way of passing forward you know I was put through this journey for whatever reason if, if I believed in karma I've, I've been really bad in a previous life do you know what I mean like and karma sucks but if that's the case and so be it but I pass my message on to young people all the time and I say this if you've got nothing to say be the one that listens because to the world you are just one person but to one person by just sitting there for, for a moment and listening you could potentially become that person's world yeah. uh, and it's such a powerful message uh, and it but yet so true and that message is the exact pinnacle that saved my life that's the reason why i'm here talking to you today you know not because i'm a superhero because someone else is and it's not it's not a superhero talent is it but it's just something no. that people don't don't seem to have the time or the inclination to do we're so keen on just saying look at me look at me and 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 i think also we want to fix people as well don't we We see somebody in pain we want to fix them and we sort of come and i think i've mean, yeah. never been in a situation you've been in so this is just an assumption from my point and so correct me if i'm off piece here but you don't you didn't want people telling you how to get better no, and that, and it's funny, I'm really glad you brought, you said that actually, Scott, because you've said that unprompted and, and yet that was always what I was trying to say to physios. So when I, all my life, right, I, I, I'm, I'm quite severely dyslexic, although I wasn't diagnosed until later on in life. But my maths teacher once told me in school that the only numbers I'd ever make up were numbers in adult queue, right? For the younger members, that's the benefits queue, okay? I've never been on benefits. All right, I'm 39 years old and I'm going strong. I've never been unemployed. I've either worked for myself or been employed by someone else. When I became disabled, everyone told me about what I couldn't do. You're not going to be able to climb a mountain anymore. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. I was always a mountaineer. I love mountains and I love running marathons. Oh, you're not going to be able to run a marathon anymore. Well, no, because then the next marathon I'd done, I'd done in a wheelchair. So just because I can't run it doesn't mean I can't do it. And it was that attitude of, professionals either want to fix you or tell you what you can't do right and when I was going to my physios they would say they would always try to fix me which was great however I remember my neurologist once saying to me 
I'd made a life for myself by now, right? I was an adaptive athlete. I was doing really, really well in my sport and achievements. Uh, my adventurous endeavors was just going through the roof. And I remember my neurologist saying, but you seem so comfortable being disabled. And I was like, well, no, my life has changed dramatically. You know, I've gone from a 45,000 pound a year job working in motorbikes, which was like my dream job. And now I'm working in a call center behind a monitor, listening to people's direct debit complaints. You know, trust me, I'm not comfortable being disabled. However, I can wait 10 years for a cure that you can't promise me or I can get on and live my life. I've already gone down the rabbit hole and now I'm back out. I have to make best of the situation I've got. And that, I'll never forget him saying that because that really, really affected me because I, I came out there so angry. I was like, who does he think he is? He sees me for 15 minutes of a, in a year and he, he feels he has the right to tell me. And yet other people who've, who said to me, oh, so you can't, you can't run a marathon anymore. Have you seen these wheelchairs, these road wheelchairs? You know, those are the type of people I started being attracted to. And, and that attraction is, is what shaped the way I think now. So effectively shaped my future. And as a result, I'm now shaping other people's future by using those experiences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how might we shape the future is is by getting rid of the negative and encouraging the positive and when i say that i mean the people you you we we seem to surround ourselves with with people it's what we do it's human nature but for some reason it's also part of our human nature that we want to please the people who don't genuinely care about us which is really weird. It's like a natural thing that, that humans tend to do. If someone's there going, oh, yeah, you, you, you can't do that anymore or you won't do that anymore. Instead of saying, yeah, that's your opinion. See you later. I'm going to go and do what I want to do. We find the need to try and please them. Well, I've stopped doing that. <laughs> so I'm very good at irritating people, but I tend to just go, yeah, well, that's your opinion. And I'm not listening to you. So now when someone says, Jamie, you can't do that, the only thing I hear is, yes, I can. And then I figure out a way of doing it. And that's kind of how I've relived my life now, which is lethal because nothing seems to be out of my reach. <laughs> okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, I mean, this thing is because I, I, I play around a lot with language. And I also, I think we've had discussed before when I joined your the See No Bounds hub is about my view on positivity and that let's let's surround ourselves and we and one of the questions there's one of the reasons how might we is the the podcast thing because it's all about solutions focus it's not problems yeah focused. how might we achieve this how might we do this together but also when i used to work for a company and it was uh sort of cafe style unfortunately no longer there and they had negativity what can i do so whenever we've got this thing about where well, you, you tell people what you can't do, what I can't do, what I can't do. And he says, yes, but what can you do? There is always, always, always something. It yeah. might not be, it might not be the solution now, but there is always, and we used to do it with people in call centers, like custom service and, and stuff like that. So you, cause you ring up a call center and go, yeah, I can't do that. And people say that's never, it's never a positive interaction. Is it? It's always no. one side's always going to be upset at that conversation, but if at least you have, <laughs> well, I can't deliver it today, but I can deliver it tomorrow. What time would suit you? You haven't got what you want, but the, 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 at least the conversation is going around solutions all the time. Yeah, and I think working years of customer service myself, you know, that was one of my fortes. I mean, we, one of the companies we used to get, you used to get like customers could nominate you for an award. And this is, like I said, I'm not, a, my argument always was when, when I talk about this, I sound really big headed, but that's not the reason I want to share the story. But my argument was always around the fact that I'm not, I'm not superhuman. I just get up every morning and do what everyone else does. I just do it at the best I can. And so I, the, the customer could, could like go online and they could nominate you for an award. Okay. And on average, you'd get about seven nominations in your time at Welsh Ward at, at the company I was working with. Right. Uh, some people have been there like 20 years and they'd had like 10 nominations. I was getting 12 a month. Right? And everyone was like, well, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just listen to what the person's saying. You know, I've got, a, I've got a, a great way of listening to people and, and going, okay, fine. I understand your situation. All right, so I can't resolve it that way. However, I can resolve it this way. 
I can do this. And do you know one of the biggest questions I used to ask, which was really funny? You get a customer call up, they'd be ironic, absolutely erratic, right? For whatever reason, I believe that monsters are created, they're not born. So when, you, when you've eventually got, you know, a customer that's raging down the phone, chances are, from a customer's perspective, the company has probably created that problem, right? And one of the things I used to do is let them listen, let them finish, let them burn themselves out. And then they go, are you still there? And I go, yeah, still here. I'm just listening to what you've got to say. But what are you going to do about it? And the question, the burning question, what would you like me to do? How can I make this scenario work for you? What is the best thing I can do for you? Well, I want this resolved. Okay. And that's what I'll look to do. And that's what I'll look to achieve. And I'd look to achieve that because at the end of the day, we all have a problem. We want it resolved. Right. So I'd listen to them. They, I would then say, I'll call you back. Right. That's always the first promise. Okay. Now, what a lot of companies do is they forget to do the call and back bit. They promise it, then it never happens. So the next time that customer calls up to that company, they are raging, right? Because they've been made a promise, hasn't been kept to, and possibly once or twice before as well. I just call them up, even if I haven't got an answer for them. I just call them up and go, hello there, Mrs. Jones, it's Jamie. I'm calling up just to say that I haven't resolved this yet, but I'm still working on it. It just meets their expectations and instant calming down of, 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 a, of a customer. And if you do that in life in general, you'd probably have a much easier life. Well, that goes on to that. I think it's all about relationships and trust, isn't it? So if you ever promise something, make sure you deliver it. And it's better to say you have nothing to say than to say nothing at all. I might write that down, Scott. I might keep that, mate. That is, <laughs> that is valuable. That's a valuable statement. And it's what I do. I mean, people just say to me, God, you, you know, you talk too much. And I'm like, yeah, I probably do. Granted, I'm a motivational speaker. I do it for a living. But what I, I, I'd rather talk too much than not enough. Does that make sense? As long as you well. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite good at that as well. I, I do believe that I was given two eyes, two ears and one mouth to be used in that proportion. And that's what makes me very good at what I do, actually. So, yeah, but I love, I think the future is young people and I think they get a raw end of the deal as well. And and, and that's something else that I've, I've always focused my attention on is is, is listening to them and, and trying to be the best I can be and show them what it's what it's like to be that or, or show them how to to do things because so many people just rule them out now i think um, i did an interesting podcast which is uh, due for release imminently from a guy called a guy called guy from gen z insights yeah and looked at the sort of generation z and he said if we actually and i think we came to the conclusion yes there's some issues well not issues that's the wrong word there's certain ways they look at life that the older generation don't, but underneath it all, we're still human beings. But if you actually look at the forces that are around these people, when this generation, when they were growing up, so when they became aware of the world, we had the financial crash. Yeah. So they hit the financial crash and then we've had austerity for 10 years. And we just came out of austerity. Now they've got the pandemic that nobody's ever seen <laughs> in their life. So it's yeah. not being a bed of roses for like this good news stuff that's come out and there's good news and, and good news that's always come out. And then you look at the generations before that, there's always, so how, what we're experienced is, and, and it's sort of how we grow up creates that sort of the way we perceive the world. And I think what you're trying to do, and it, which I think is valuable, and I think what the guy was talking is about, and I think the conclusion we came to is that workplaces and everywhere is an appreciation of the different perspectives that we have and why we have them. So why do I look at the world this way? It's because of my experiences, my background. Yeah. As somebody who's 21, look at the world that way because of what they've been experiencing in their background. And they, they have experiences at a younger age that I never had and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, I can use my nephew as an example for this and, you know, my nephew knows me and he knows my story. So obviously he's been inspired by his, his uncle, but let me tell you for the first 18 years of that kid's life, he never left his bedroom. Right. He went to school, come home, went on the Xbox or PlayStation or whatever it was at the time, right? And everyone used to say, Kai, you know, you, you, you should get out more. You should go outside. You should go out and play. And he'd be like, well, I don't want to. I'm quite happy in here on my Xbox, right? Or he'd read books, actually. He was, a, he was a massive reader. And now he's in London. He's a, a fully qualified degree-level paramedic, interacting with people of all ages, fighting on the front line in more ways than one because 
before COVID, there was terrorism. And let's be honest, I don't quite know what's happened to terrorism during the time of COVID. It seems to have gone. I think they're all in lockdown. But before that, he was there, you know, in the middle of all of that as well. And you think to yourself, this is a kid that spent 18 years of his life hidden away in his room. And everyone thought he was just going to, you know, rot away into nothing. But they don't. They grow up. We all grow up and we we then have our we we've developed our passions and, and our experiences. And, you know, my story, which I share very openly, and, and obviously the reason why I showed it in this is because, you know, my message is we are the ones that shape our future. No, no one else. Yeah, People will tell you what you should be doing. People will put you in boxes. People will say, well, you should be doing this now. You're 20. Why aren't you married? You're 25. Why haven't you got any children? I mean, I'm 40. I haven't got any children. I don't want children. Right. The man, people that say, oh, you, you should be, you know, you should be thinking about kids now. Right, what if I never want to think about kids? You know, it's my future and, and you're in control of that. And I think we are all in control of what we do. You've got a daughter that's in her, in her 20s, you know, and as a dad, you want to protect her. But in reality, you've got to let her make her own mistakes and let and take her own journey because that's, that is the future, right? I think it's, so when, yeah, when I do, we do stuff around coaching and mentoring. So to me, mentoring is, is the closest way to describe mentoring as being a parent. Yeah. You give your advice to people. You might say, look, and, and you try to pre- not protect them, but help them grow up to be the best person they can be. But at the end of the day, they're going to do what they want to do. And all you can do is if it goes wrong, help pick up the pieces. If it's, if it goes well, you help them celebrate. Yeah. Um, and then that's it. You let them take their own journey. Because I think also in leadership and anything we do, if we try to com- control then we don't allow people to flourish. That's it. And, and that's the biggest problem with, actually, that, that is probably one of the biggest issues in customer experiences in business, right? You've got, I'm going to take the call center that I worked in as an example. So you've got 200 people on the ground that are speaking to customers every single day. They know the customer's ins and outs. They, they know the customer's experiences. They know the customer language. And yet they're the people that are least listened to. Then you've got the bosses at the top of the the chain. All right. And they have a vision, the vision of their company, how the vision is going to flow. And when they were at the bottom of the pile, they would obviously live to that vision. All right. But as you employ people and as the chain gets bigger and the management system comes in and the conduit then starts to break down, the vision from the top does not reach the bottom. And the pressures from the bottom don't reach the top because if the, if the guy at the top wants to know what's happening in his business, the management system in the middle, they pluck out the, the, the prime candidates, the, the, the people who are going to say all the right things. They won't pluck out the person that's going to be honest. And that's where this kind of breaks down massively is the people who should be listened to the most are listened to the least. Uh, and unfortunately, that's probably a pessimistic way of looking at it, but I think it's very, very true. And when I start speaking to people and I, as, as a boss, one of the big things I do as a, as, a, as, a, as a company owner, as a boss, as people who employ, as employ someone, is I listen to the people that, either, that I employ to do a job. Because if, if, if they weren't there, I'd be doing the job myself. Yeah. And they're the ones that are coming in with the, with the big, biggest feedback. So my developer, I listen to him. How should this look? How do you think that looks? You know, and this is where, if we listened more to what people's, have to say you've been enriched by knowledge i well you're now you're talking my kind of language because <laughs> I, I i think the solution to anything lies within the system but the only way is to actually have conversations with everybody in the system okay yeah. so it's not about hierarchical it's not we need to go down this way but get the senior management in with the middle management in with um the frontline staff and say and if you're brave enough with your customers yeah. Well, get them involved and suppliers. And if you imagine the conversations you can have with everyone involved and saying, this is, we want to deliver this. What's the best way that can look like for everybody involved? And then you can have those open conversations. If you're starting like within teams, get the teams to talk about, okay, what the values we hold dear to us, what's important. And then how can we demonstrate those to each other on a day-to-day basis? And you can have those conversations that you give everyone an equal voice. So I, I, yeah, I totally agree about that equality of voice. Yeah. And I think that's and, and inverted in organizations. Absolutely. And I think the Japanese think very much like this. So with the Japanese, a company is just an engine, right? And everybody right from the cleaner 
right up to the CEO is a cog within that engine. And if you take any one of those cogs out, the engine doesn't work. Simple as that, right? So within the Japanese cultures, everybody is kind of treated the same throughout the, the machine. For some reason, in especially in in the in the UK as a whole, and I'm sorry to brand it, but I think it's true. And obviously, this is only my opinion. So anyone listening in, please don't sue Scott. Please feel free to give me a call. But I believe that in the UK, we all feel that the bigger the cog, the more important we are. And I'm a big cog. They can't live without me. And it's like, yeah, but the, the big cog is, is turned around by the little cog, you know, and the little cog is turned around by the other little cogs. And, and it's, it's all the little cogs at the bottom that turns the big cog, you know. We seem to fail to realise that. And that's all language, you know, it's how we speak to people. It's how we communicate. If, if, if you're having a bad day and you take that temper out with someone else, guess what? They're now having a bad day and, and you're to blame with that. But then at the same time, if someone is having a bad day and they speak to you in that way and then you react, they're having a worse day and now you're having a bad day. So it's, it's really all about, I think the world, I think, you know, we can talk about changing the world and making the world a better place, but sometimes it's just very little conscious decisions and understanding the other person's view of the world at that particular time will will make a massive difference right okay so i'm going to share a concept with you i just want to like your your thoughts on this and it awesome. with what you've said and there's a guy called uh, daniel friedland who wrote a book called leading well from within was about conscious leadership and yeah. the question he asked because i was i was honored uh, honored enough to be in uh experience one of his talks is as a leader, are you a resource or a demand on your team? Oh, good question. That is, a, I think, that's a, a fantastic question. Are you resourcing, I've seen as a resource for your team, or are you demand on your team? Which goes back to what you were, what you were saying. But the next concept is, is of, and it links to what you were saying before about how we might shape our own future. And I believe this goes back to sort of our mindset and how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive the environment we're in, and how we communicate that effectively around us and with other people. So, and it's called being a positive energizer. Yeah. Now, if you yes. have somebody who's a negative drain. I was just going to say drain and radiators. Yeah. It's a concept that I've used before. And I've actually said to people, are you a drain or are you a radiator? And, and, they, and they've said, what do you mean? I said, well, a radiator warms a room mm. and a drain just sucks the atmosphere out of the room. Which one are you? And, they, and granted, they all say, well, I'm a radiator. And you go, are you sure? Because I've just asked your team and they don't think the same. You know, they, they, they call you Henry, as in Henry Hoover. You might need to look at that as a, as a, as a concept. You know, that's feedback. It's not, it's not a criticism, but that's feedback. And this is, this is, if you want a better team, then leave from the front, you know. And I remember I used to run a pet and garden centre. And I remember I had two young staff working with me. And, and I, I employed them to do, you know, general work and they come in the one day and I'm in the wheelie you know in the we had a big skip thing and I was in there cleaning the skip out you know and one of them said oh, Jay we do that for me I'll do that and I said I don't employ you to clean the bins I employ you to work within the business I'll clean the bins because I put rubbish in there as well but what I really need you to do is move that ton of peanuts so I'd really appreciate if you done that and they're like oh yeah cool no worries and what my message was saying is look you can clean the bin when I'm too busy to clean the bin but right now I need you to do something else and, and I'm, I'm not too good to clean the bin. And I think a lot of bosses have that, that perception of, you know, I'm the big cheese. But the actual statement is don't ask anyone to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. You know, who, who do you think you are? It doesn't matter how rich or how famous or, or how wealthy you are. You know, you, we're all born to nothing, right? And we're all going to go with nothing. But to get respect, I got a lot of respect from my staff because I would get involved i'd get mucked in i'd pull my sleeves up i'd get on the pitch and that's what gained my respect i didn't demand respect i earned it and when you employ someone it's a two-way street a lot of people think you should be you should consider yourself lucky that you've got a job and my reply is that's right and you should consider yourself lucky that you employ me you know it's a two-way street right and and it's about putting value it's about putting value on yourself i think it is and i think it goes back to say shape our own future is how do we value ourselves and not allow other people to dictate the value we are yeah big time and and 
that will ha- that happens a lot in life. It happened to me, you know, I was dyslexic in school, which meant I was an instant write-off. I was the thick kid. Now look at me. I run, I run three successful businesses, which I'm very proud of. I do all my own accounts and I'm a published poet, which is not bad for someone who could barely rewrite an ad up during, during his time in school. But that was because the education system didn't work for me. I was in the wrong boxes. You know, when I became disabled, I was written off. And now look at me. I'm a multi-award winner. I'm an ambassador for disability sports. I've completed for my country six times and I'm a multi-award winner. Not bad for someone who is now in a wheelchair. Poor me, he's never going to be able to be anything in life. It just shows that you're the person in control. No one else. You know, I can tell you that you can do something until I'm blue in the face. I can tell you that you can't do something until I'm blue in my face. But you're the only person that can go out and do the things you want to do. The only person's ever going to be in your way is the person you look at in the mirror. What's interesting because look, obviously I'm just starting up the innovate crowd as I was talking to somebody and he says, Scott, just get out of your, just get out of your own way and do it. Cause I was yeah. the putting my own barriers into just in my thinking was this needs to be right. And boom, 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 boom. So the barriers that were being put up was ones that I imagined. And, and I've just decided, you know what, I'll run with it and just see what happens now. And Absolutely. And you know what, you're probably, you'll be more successful than you realize. The amount of people I know, who are like, they're setting up a business and they're like, oh yeah, I haven't launched it yet. And I'm like, why not? Well, the website's not perfect. And I'm like, okay, that's great. I get it. How many people are not seeing your non-perfect website? Well, no one, right. How many people are now seeing your perfect website? Well, well, no one, exactly. So the concept is the same. So launch the website as it is and then develop it. Get the message out there. Because if you launch your perfect website tomorrow, a million people are not going to instantly hit on. My website's been running for six years, right? And only now, six years down the line, I'm getting six and a half thousand hits on my website a month. I didn't get that day one. I got none. And day two, I think I got none on that day as well. Day three, I might have got two. Right? I can't remember. But the numbers was insignificant. Because the truth of the matter is, it's going to take you six months before you get your brand out there anyway in theory so create the brand get it out there then make it right then make it perfect you've got time then but you can have time whilst you're developing who you are it's as simple as that you know it's not it it it, when you when you when you put a business out there we learn from our mistakes failure is the route to success i have succeeded in pretty much everything i've ever tried to have a go at at some point I never succeeded on the first go, very rarely. And when I do, it's a, it's a little bit of a jig because I'm like, yeah, I've done it. Yeah, I've done it first time. That worked. I can't even get a printer to work first time, let alone anything else. So it's about just getting out there and just having a go, doing it. If it works, great, do it again. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. Do something else or change it or adapt it or move on. When I climbed a mountain in a wheelchair, I, I became the first person ever to climb Pennybound Mountain on my bare hands. The reason, because the wheelchair I'd built and designed to climb plenty of man broke. So I did it on my hands. I still got to the summit. I achieved something completely different. It was not what I set out to be. It was still awesome. And I then won an award for it. So, and that wasn't perfect. That was not the perfect way to get a top penny van, let me tell you. <laughs> I'd, I'd tell you, what, I, I highly, well, yes. I mean, if I tried, I wouldn't get past like the thing. There's no, I've got no strength in my arms, and I'm a, I'm a fat git, so I just wouldn't be able to pull myself up anywhere. <laughs> I think the interesting thing about that is also where it's like, how do we shape our own future? Is it accepts? Like, is this thing about instant gratification? Is that we do something, we expect it to be successful, it's supposed to be a hit the first time, and rarely, if ever, as you, you rightly point out in life, is that ever, ever the case? And it's that sort of that thing of agility, isn't it? Learn, fail fast, learn quickly. Yeah, absolutely, and. Like we built, is this with everything? Like it, it could be massive or it can be really small. I mean, I'm building a summer house at the moment in my back garden. Now I am not DIY orientated. I'm not carpenter orientated. And I'll be honest with you, I can't even hang a shelf straight. Well, I can, but it takes time, right? So I'm building a little bench, a wooden bench, sat outside, nothing. It doesn't even have to be perfect. Do you know, it took me five times before I could actually get it where the screws lined up because I was doing things wrong or... And I had to take it apart and rebuild it, take it apart and rebuild it. And yeah, it took time. And if I was a carpenter, I'd have just done it. But I'm not a carpenter. And 
it's not a carpentry project. It's, it's, it's a project that me and my fiance are doing and it's not perfect. If I came up there, I could tell you, I, I would show you all of the imperfections, right? But unless you're looking for them, you won't know they're there because what you'll see is the final product. You'll see a summer house in the middle of a garden that you can sit at on a nice day and read a book. That's what you'll see. Well, so that's the, what it's designed to do, isn't it? It's a bit like when you were saying going up the mountain. It's the objective was going up to get to the summit. The initial plan on achieving that failed because of a mechanical issue. So we then adapted, but we still kept our outcomes. We still, we still achieved our goal. We just found a different way of achieving it. Absolutely. And the funny thing was, believe it or not, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to go home at night. I had to get to the top of the mountain, which is great. And it's interesting that you said that that was my goal. But when you get to the top and you achieve your so be it goal, guess what? You've got to come back down. So when you reach your goal, you're only halfway there. And this is the other message that I, I give to people. Look for your goal. Everyone needs a goal. We all need goals, right? And I go, look for your goal. But remember that your goal is only halfway there. If you, if you aim to just reach the goal, I'd still be sat on top of the mountain right now because I would not have worked to get back down off the mountain. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to get to the top of the mountain. But it, you've got to look beyond that as a goal. Is, is that making sense or am I just rambling? You know, A bit of both, but it makes sense enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like so many people, you know, they look at it and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, but my goal is that. Okay, great, but that's not your goal. You, that's what you're aiming to do. Your goal is what you're going to achieve after you've done that. You know, like my goal was to play squash. And I was the first person in a wheelchair ever to play squash. That was my goal to play squash. Then it became my goal to compete in squash. Then it became a goal to compete in a tournament. Then it became my goal to actually qualify for a national tournament. All of a sudden, I was not only the first person with a low body impairment to compete in a squash tournament. I became the first person with a low body impairment to compete in a Welsh Open Masters. And then the first person to compete in a European Open Masters. But my goal was to compete in squash never to compete at european level under the gb flag <laughs> so it shows you again so we set something and then that is that's the first stepping stone isn't it that's right so something that's was it they called a stretch target isn't it something that you're going to work towards is going to be hard but when you get there so right now i've done that how can i what, what's next what's next yeah. on this journey that's not that's not the end that's just the first step in the next on the yeah. first stepping stone if you want Absolutely. And, and I learned that lesson when I was in the army. You know, I didn't really enjoy my time in the army. I'm not, you know, if you cut me through, I'm not green. I, I never have been. But whenever you'd go out and you'd be out on a, you know, 30 mile tab or, or you'd have to run or, or whatever you're doing. I always just I never, ever thought of the end game. I always thought of the next thing. So, right, I'm going to reach that bench or I'm going to reach that tree. When I reach the tree, then I go, right, now I'm going to reach that tree. And when I've done that, and it, it's the same for those people losing weight, you know, there's nothing more shaping of your future than to be healthy, right? But so people go out and they get on the road and they go, right, yeah, I'm going to go running. This is great. January's coming up, right? This is going to be happening. Christmas, everything's going to be, right, New Year's resolution. I'm going to lose the COVID weight. That's probably going to be the message, right? I'm going to lose my COVID weight. They're going to go out after having a year of doing nothing. And they're going to get onto the road and they're going to start running. They're going to run five, six miles, completely destroy themselves, never do it again, right? But if they break that goal down into smaller chunks, you, the coach to 10K, the couch to 10K type thing, mm -hmm. you don't just go straight out running 10K. You know, walk to the end of your street first. Then when you get to the end of your street, walk to the end of the next street. And then when you get to the end of that street, walk the first stretch of the canal. And then when you've done that, walk the next. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you've walked 10 miles. And then when you've done that, then jog a mile, walk a mile, jog a mile, walk a mile. Before you know it, you've jogged five miles. And that's, it's breaking it down. And, and that's the problem that people have is they try, to, they try to get to the end game too quickly. They don't break it down into small chunks. I think, that, yes, we're quite, a, that's, we could go on a pages about that. It's also about problem solving, isn't it? We never actually yeah. the type, yeah, we, oh, there's a solution, but no, let's think about this a little bit longer. And what, what's the, what's the, what's the, What's the potential outcomes? What is it that we, we quite like to say, right, that's what I'm going to do. That's the way it goes back to what you were saying first about trying to fix people. We try to come up with a solution, which again is my, one of my views against education. Not that I'm not really against education. 
just the way it was obviously education is a good thing but in some ways the way school set up it's interesting you said that being dyslexic you were excluded a lot as you were seen as like a this is it and you've got the and i think education has changed a lot positively about that now mm. so somebody oh, yeah, definitely is it helps them but then the conversely what do we do with the gifted as well how we help yeah. the gifted and the gifted is not just about somebody who can do maths three r's or stem it's also what are we doing about the people who are creative what about encouraging yeah. creativity in kids and what are we doing about that because we do like to say you know you've got to do this and you've got to do that and i think no we just help people be the best they can be and recognize who they are and you know what everybody has a skill set so i work a lot with young people with autism right and one of the things i always tend to start off with is saying so what's your superpower right and i get mixed reactions with that but everyone with autism has that they're good at something right but everyone's good at something everyone has a superpower right so and it's just more prominent with someone with autism and i met a kid and they said he said oh mine's dates and i said okay fine what is it about dates he said i don't know i just seem to know them i was like okay so what do i have to do he said well just tell me a date so i said 12th of may 1981 was the day i was born he went tuesday I was like, God's under Google. It was a Tuesday. It was 39 years ago. How? how? <laughs> you know, he didn't sit there. He didn't put his eyes up to the left and calculate. He just went Tuesday. So then I said, okay, uh, first of the ninth, 20, uh, 1920, Monday. It's like, how, how do you do this? How is this even capable? I mean, that is a superpower. But then there's his ability. Could you, he's like a walking, talking calendar. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure there's a job there for him somewhere. I'm sure like the Secret Service would exactly. love to have someone like that in their palace. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, that, but the other thing is I'm a certified Gallup strengths coach. And so the whole ethos of that is identifying what we're good at. And then let's look, look at amplifying our strengths to achieve our goals. I think we spend too much time, as you say, saying you can't do this, you can't do that, you're crap at this, you're crap at that. And how does that enrich people? So I think, as you say, how might we shape our future? And, one of the things I'd like to come away with, hopefully that I've come away with from this conversation is also, yes, it's within, but it's how can we be the people that help people shape their own future as well? Other people. Yeah. So how Absolutely. can or other people shape their own futures and not, not try and shape it for them? Yeah. I, I think with that, it's, it's, it's sharing knowledge. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, and being encouraging rather than discouraging, you know, if something's not a good idea, then, that's fine, and but explain why it's not a good idea, and then give. The, my old boss used to say to me, "Don't come with, don't come to me with problems. Come to me with solutions." And it was great because I used to go up to him and say, "Right, this isn't working, but if we did this, it would work better." And you just go, "Okay, fine, do that." Then. And that's that's what we need to be doing. Like, don't just go, "Yeah, no, it's a, it's a rubbish idea." Okay, fine. Why? It just is, or it's not working. Why? Because it isn't. Okay, fine, but why isn't it working? Give me an answer, give me a solution, yeah? And you'd find that, you, A, your staff would be more productive because they'll be allowed to think outside the box. They'll be allowed to think, period. Your business or company will be more productive. In life, you will be more productive because, A, you don't have to think about so much because everyone else is doing it for you, but also you, 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 you've given yourself more time. Just, it's just a lot more productive to be positive than it is to be negative. It's more energizing. Oh, absolutely. It, just, it gives an end. Being, being positive develops energy for you. And that, that reminds me of another, another, another little game I play, which is when people have ideas. Instead of saying, yeah, that's a bad idea. Or yes, but. Which is a nightmare saying. I'm going I'm to write a blog about this or do a video anyway, but I'll just give you a think about it. Because you've just basically, yes, but. And it just killed creativity and it kills somebody. Because when somebody gives you an idea, they're giving you a gift. A gift yeah. of thought. So if somebody gives you a present, you're just going to get, yeah, but that's crap. You're never going to do that to somebody. So don't do it to somebody's idea because it is a gift from them. But if you, even if you don't think it's going to work and you, as you say, the reasons behind, so you might say, yes, that uh, I love that idea. And how can we adapt it to work in this environment? And what you're asking them to do is take that and then carry on thinking creatively. Yeah. Not saying, yeah, but that's not going to work. Okay. So it's not going to work here, but how can we adapt it? Then you yeah. kept that creativity open in that person's mind and you've accepted the idea and said it needs to be built on, but you've done it in such a way that's energizing to the person, not draining. So I do like that. Do you, are you creating energy in your conversations or are you draining? 
Yeah. I one of my when someone comes up to me with an idea, Jay, I've been having an idea. I've got this idea. And I go, and if I'm not sure about the idea, I just go, okay. And I leave it there. I don't say if or no, right? And then I, then I'll say, explain more. Tell me how it's going to work. Tell me what your idea is. Because there's see, there's, there's different types of people. And what you'll find about creative people, the people who have these amazing ideas, they're generally rubbish at selling them, right? Because they, they're creative. And what they then have the ability, they're so excited about the idea that they've created, it all comes out in, in one big blurb, rather than actually going, right, I've had this idea. This is how it's going to work. This is the process. This is the concept. They just come up, got this great idea, and, and it's going to be brilliant. Okay, that's fine. How is it going to be brilliant? How is it going to work? And you'd start to break down the idea with them. But not only that, you, you're then gaining the knowledge of that idea as well. And absolutely bang on what you were saying. You know, just take a bit of time. If someone's come up to you and has given you a piece of their knowledge or their time or their experience, at least give them the justification of listening to them. Respect. Yeah. That person has that person has decided that this idea is worthwhile sharing and they think, because if we say no to everyone's idea and then people won't share ideas and, and whether it's a much worse place to be because then we're relying on very few people with all the answers and we should be relying on asking everybody questions. Yeah. My father used to say to me, son, you learn from other people's mistakes because you can't live long enough to make them all yourself. Granted, I'm having a good go, but what I've always done is learn from other people. This is why I'm knowledgeable about stuff because I listen and I talk and I ask questions. Even if I'm not really that interested in a subject, you'd be surprised what I know about costume jewelry, right? But probably not. Yeah, but like, why would I, right? However, if someone is passionate about costume jewelry, I am, I've got the time because what I'm interested in is not the costume jewelry. What I'm interested in is their passion because a product is a product at the end of the day. Mm-hmm but we've got customers in our hub and that's what they're passionate about. They're passionate about jewelry. So the only way that I'm going to sell them is if I understand their passion and they've given me that passion. They've given me that passion in their products. So the least I can do is respect them and listen to what they're selling me. And that's why you should love doing presentation skills training. They said, are you boring? I said, no, because I sit there the third day doing assessing and the amount of things I've been told about is amazing. And, and if they can do presentations well, is, it makes it even more interesting. But yeah. to me, it's just like I didn't know that, and I'm on a learning. Of, I'm on a journey of discovery on that day, and I'm assessing somebody, which is fine. So you're sitting there going, "Yeah, did against the sort of have they met the criteria of presentations and they doing the right type of things that we would expect them to do?" But my God, you're learning along the way as well, and what a great job! What a great job to learn. To I know to learn. Phenomenal. I've done. I've done podcasts with with people, right? And, and I've been stood there and I've been like, my mouth has just been open because they're educating me. And it's like, I know I didn't know that, but I didn't know I didn't know that, you know, like, it, yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely that's, incredible. When I do this, I've had people from a wide range of backgrounds, their stories and what they experiences and what they think. And it's some of it I can resonate more with because it's an area I understand and other bits I don't know a lot about. And it's, it's, it's phenomenally enriching to, be involved in these conversations i always appreciate the people who take their time out and obviously you are one of them so before we wrap up if that's yeah. okay just one question jamie if you wouldn't mind if you could say how might we shape our future if you could give the listeners out of all the ramblings we've had in the places we've gone we've done sales <laughs> we've done management we've done lots of five tips do you think that people could take which will help them shape their own future so tip one look at what you can do not what you can't. Tip two, don't listen to people who tell you what you can't do. Tip three, get rid of the negatives in your life and concentrate on the positives. I think that was three, wasn't it? Yes. Four, I would say thin out the bad apples. And I mean that by a lot we I'll go back to that comment before when I said that we seem to try to please people who don't care about us. I've got other terminology for it, but we'll use not care for us. Get rid of them. They're not important. We spend so much time 
concentrating on people who don't care. Stop. They're not worth. They're not worth the energy. And one of the big things about how we can shape how why how might we shape the future is to concentrate on the present. There's another old saying by a, a Brazilian motivational speaker called Janias Bratas. And she says, if we are depressed, we're thinking of the past. If we are anxious, we're thinking of the future. If we're at most ease, we're thinking of the present. And when you are at most ease is when you are most productive. So don't worry about the things that you can't control. Don't worry about the things that have gone. You can't do anything about them. Don't worry about the time that hasn't happened yet. You, you've got no real control over that either. Con think about the time that you have got control over because that is the time that is most valuable to you. And that would probably be my top tip is concentrate on the here and now. Okay, lovely. I think I've heard another version of that. If you're angry, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. Yeah. It's a sort yeah. of the same statement. I, lo I love that because we do spend too much time living or thinking about what's happened or what will happen, but not what is happening. Yeah, there's, there's, I'll finish it off with, with a story I heard the other day about someone who, who worked in um, real estate in America. And during the boom, he was flying. Business was really, really good. And then when it come to the real estate crash in America, he was in a big seminar with loads of other real, real estate agents. And he, he went up to this guy and he says to this guy, he says, why are, you, why are you so happy? Like everyone's so doom and gloom. And he said, well, because they're all worried about this big depression that we're in. I'm not in a depression. He said, well, but everyone's in a depression. Everyone's in a re you know, recession. It's, it's what's happening right now. He says, no, nah, mate. He said, I've never been so busy. He said, I'm absolutely killing it. He said, how? He said, well, I, I, look, I don't look at the negative. I'm looking at the positive. He said, think about it. How's... He said, yeah, we, we've hit, hit rock bottom in, in the, the real estate market. He said, but for so many people, it's right now is the golden opportunity. He said, so what I've done, he said, is I'm just approaching all of my landlords that own properties. And I'm saying, now's the time to buy. They're saying, but we're in the middle of a recession. And I'm saying, that's right, because you're never going to buy a house as cheap as you're going to buy it now. So buy it while it's cheap. And then when I'm finished targeting them, I'm targeting new buyers. Because now is the time, if you're a new buyer, to buy a house. He said, I'm raking it in. He said, you know what really keep me positive? He said, whilst they're all concentrating on the negative, this time next year, I'm going to have a lot less competition in this room. And I listened to that and I thought, you know what? That is business. That's looking at where we are now, the opportunities. And that's a story that a lot of people can look, think for and covered as well. Yeah, absolutely. Where are we now? What's the opportunities it is raised? And what, what is it the right time to be doing? And that could be a whole new podcast. We could have a discussion about that. So again, because <laughs> I don't think that people are going to switch off soon if we carry on for much longer. Anyway, it was great to have you on and thank you very much for your time. And um, no, it's been a pleasure. I'm willing to share your story and I appreciate that immensely. So that's from us. That's from Scott and Jamie. Thank you very much. Thank you.